Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We are here live with you for the next hour to receive and answer your questions on the Bible. That's right, that's what A Reason for Hope is all about, this hour that we are live with you. You can send in your questions through the multiple online platforms where we're streaming to. And we have some wonderful guests here who love the Lord and love the Word and love to answer your questions as best as we can using God's Word as that source of truth and the source of the answers there. So if you have a question, maybe a verse or passage of Scripture that you'd like explained a bit better, maybe something you're going through, you'd like a biblical perspective. What does God say about different circumstances and different decisions we make, lifestyles even, maybe even other religions as they relate to Christianity, anything along those lines, as long as it's an honest question, and as long as you know once again that we're getting the answers from God's Word, the Bible. That's what we're here to do for the next hour, so we're very glad that you are joining us wherever that may be to provide those questions which guide our content. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be on those platforms with you, receiving your questions as they come on in. With us today, we have our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Scott Richards. That's me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You're looking good. Thank, Thank you. for being here. Yes, appearances can be deceiving, but... <laughs> Well, there's just, none who does good, no, not one. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's just true. Well, thank yeah. you for being here today, well, as always. Well, thank you so much for playing uh, video jockey over there. Absolutely, I know it's. it's You're uh, our MTV VJ of the day. It's definitely a, a multitasking. I'm thing, dating but myself it. there. <laughs> yes. Back when MTV showed wow. videos, Max Headroom and all yes, that stuff. they actually awesome. showed music videos. Right. That's rare. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's reminisce about those for a yeah. moment. Okay, yeah. we're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also with us, Pastor Sean Richards, with us, uh, cleanly shaven today. You've lost some facial hair since yesterday. Ooh. You okay? What happened? Accident with a lawnmower? No, uh, it's uh, just the precaution in hopes that the bore I have hidden under the table doesn't come off of the drugs I uh, put him out with, at least before the broadcast ends. <laughs> well, you seem to have been successful with that. So welcome. Thank you for being here as well. Thank you for making yourself available for people's questions today. As I mentioned, the Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We are with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Mountain Standard Time. We're in, in Tucson, Arizona. It's a ministry and outreach of uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. If you're looking for somewhere to fellowship in the Tucson area, we're right near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. Pretty convenient location. You're more than welcome to come and check us out. Um, you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Try before you buy. Try before you buy. Yeah, you can. You can <laughs> yeah. check us out there. You can even view our services. We stream there. There's nothing like the real thing. But uh, yeah, check out our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Especially if you're not on social media, a lot of people are kind of boycotting those, moving away from that. But we stream live to our website, so you can go there to view. If you go to that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. And because we're online right now, I mean, uh, going live right now, you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username. And that's one way that you can send your question in. There's a chat function. I'll be right there with you receiving your questions. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and a, a schedule of upcoming events as well. So that's ccftucson.online.church. If you type that right into your address bar, ccftucson.online.church. Or again, follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. We're on Facebook as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ccftucson. We are live there. You can send your question in through the chat function there as well. And don't forget to like and uh, share. We'd appreciate that. kind of helps us get the word out as well. But I'll be there with you receiving those questions as they come in today. We have an app as well for your mobile device. Uh, once again, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. 
And we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you have one of those devices, a smart TV or Roku stick or Apple TV device, go to your channel store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you can watch us on your big screen. There isn't a method to send your question in that way, but you can use the app perhaps or one of the other ways and send your question in as you watch us there. We're on YouTube as well, live as we speak. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. That's a good place for archives as well. If you go to that live tab, anytime we've been live, it will archive there. We also post uh, questions of the week and other videos there as well. So if you wanted to catch up on a show or revisit a question, you can find it right there on YouTube. Once again, we'd appreciate if you would uh, subscribe and uh, click on the notification bell and like our page and all that good YouTube stuff. And once again, send your question in. If you're watching on YouTube, send it in your in the uh, the comments, and I will be receiving those Lord winners as well. Our pastor Scott here that I just introduced is on Twitter. Scott Arthur H is his handle. Scott letter letter R number four letter H. He posts all kinds of stuff on there, especially things to do with uh, end times and, and prophecy, things going on in the world as it relates to biblical prophecy. So it's very interesting to. Uh, follow along with him and he, fo- he posts some funnies as well and all kinds of shenanigans and tomfoolery as yes like in say. equal measure <laughs> yes. equal measure yes. in the right there's measure. a real balance that has it really to be is. maintained yes. it really is it's a specific recipe that he yeah. has mastered uh, so follow along with Scott on Twitter <laughs> Scott Arthur H we're on uh, Rumble as well we're not live on Rumble but we post videos there if you're on that platform A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A uh, we have some content on there for you to check out then we have an email address questionsforhope at gmail.com questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com you can send your question there as well of course anytime We'd love to hear from you. And keep in mind, if you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio or one of the other radio affiliates, you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you. Uh, But you're welcome to use that email address, of course, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll get to your question on the next show. And then, of course, consider joining us on one of the live platforms. If you're on your drive time, do drive safely, but we're very glad that you're joining us, whatever platform you're joining us on. Once again, send your questions in, get them in early. We'd love to try and parcel out the time to answer your questions today and we're certainly grateful for them once again as long as it's an honest question anything's fair game as long as you know we're getting the answers from the bible that's what we're all about here so before we move on to that and i believe pastor scott has a little update as well but uh, why don't we pause to pray ask the lord to bless our time sean would you like to pray today happily would that be too much to ask let's see if my throat holds up dad thank (laughs) you that we have the chance to be here and invite your spirit to equip us for Every good work, including accurately dividing the word of truth, all the questions that are asked here to not only be relevant to your word, but answered by it as well. And thank you that we have the honor of spending this time with you and among your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Sean. Um, well, Scott, you mentioned there was some things going on that you'd like to give us a update. I appreciate yeah, there's a, uh, again, one of the things that we try to mention is that uh, when it comes to uh, Bible prophecy, uh, the uh, anticipation of the soon return of Jesus, uh, the best way to stay on track is to keep uh, Israel uh, front and center. Uh, what goes on there is so significant. Uh, Don Stewart, our good friend, once uh, commented that when it comes to God's prophetic uh, countdown, uh, Israel's the hour hand, Jerusalem is the minute hand, but the Temple Mount itself is the second hand. We talked mm-hmm. a little bit of yesterday uh, about the Temple Mount and uh, the possibility of uh, back-channel negotiations on uh, bringing Saudi Arabia into the Abraham Accords. Uh, one of the proposals that is being made as far as a carrot 
for Saudi Arabia to be a part of things would be to switch the oversight of the Temple Mount from the Jordanians who uh, run an organization called the Waqfa, W-A-Q-F, uh, if you're trying to uh, pronounce it at home. Great Scrabble word. I don't know if that counts <laughs> in Scrabble or not, but it could sure get a lot uh, a lot of really nasty Scrabble letters yeah. out of your, yeah. your, your, your uh, deal there. <laughs> uh, but uh, suffice it to say, uh, these that would make uh, a very interesting set of developments on a couple of areas. First of all, because Saudi Arabia is dominated uh, by what is called Wahhabist uh, Islam, the Wahhabi sect. Uh, is an extremely radical sect, uh, probably uh, has contributed more uh, to the development of, well, interesting little uh, side groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS than uh, really any other uh, branch of Islam that you want to name. They have a very uh, interesting relationship with the House of Saud, the uh, royal Saudi family, uh, keeping the locals uh, essentially supporting of the House of Saud. Uh, because the House of Saud essentially uses uh, huge amounts of their oil revenue to fund Wahhabist projects. That's why you see, uh, say, for instance, mosques being built uh, around the world at uh, no sparing of expense. Uh, But uh, we we talked a little bit about that, and we talked about uh, the wild card that was involved with this in that uh, the Wahhabists believe the Al-Aqsa Mosque Uh, the place where uh, Muslims believe uh, Muhammad went on his midnight ride on his uh, horse Barak and uh, went to the farthest place, and uh, they would uh, attribute that to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount itself. Well, according to the Wahhabists, uh, uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is actually located about 30 kilometers or so uh, north of Mecca. Which would so, be accurate. The Quran does not specify it was in Jerusalem. Yeah. So the, the fascinating thing about all of this is that it, it comes into play as far as the big question, how can the Jews rebuild their temple on its historic site if, uh, in fact, uh, these two holiest shrines in Islam are there? Well, if the Saudis take over and declare they're not the holiest shrines in Islam, uh, once again, I think you're going to see a pretty major uproar in the Arab world, but as uh, the golden rule of this world uh, tends to operate, he who has the gold rules, uh, Saudi will probably uh, prevail in that respect. And perhaps that is one of the reasons that Israel is cozying up to that idea, because it would provide them the wherewithal uh, to solve a huge conflict within their borders. Uh, The regular uh, participation of the so-called worshipers at Al-Aqsa and the Dome of the Rock uh, dropping large stones upon those worshiping at the western wall down below. Uh, so uh, fascinating developments there. Very interesting developments, though, uh, going on in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and uh, you know, we talk about them uh, and the negotiations the United States is involved trying to bring them in uh, to the uh, so-called Abraham Accords. But wait, another suitor has come on the scene. And if you've ever seen uh, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You know about suitors. Uh, So he's a suitor, and his name is China. Our good friend, uh, Amir Sarfati, uh, publishes uh, every Thursday his uh, weekly update. And if you aren't following Amir Sarfati, may I highly encourage you uh, to do so. His Behold Israel site is uh, really great. Uh, He does uh, regular updates uh, I believe on the Telegram 
uh, platform. Uh, I'm not on the Telegram platform, so I've never watched one, but uh, suffice it to say, he does provide some really interesting uh, insights. Uh, most interesting to me, especially in light of what we talked about yesterday, uh, is uh, Amir writing, Saudi Arabia has been trying to include the U.S. in the backing of their nuclear development, including the building of a nuclear power station into the negotiations over the normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel, hence the Abraham Accords. But Washington has been dragging its feet, instead focusing on forcing Palestinian issues. So on Friday, Riyadh, which is the capital of Saudi Arabia, where the House of Saud does its business, announced that it is considering an offer from China to build the power station, later adding that they are also entertaining bids from Russia and France. In an extremely shrewd move, they are also offering significant financial assistance to the Palestinians. Not only will this potentially lead to the U.S. backing off on some of the measures they're insisting upon, it may also help relations with the Palestinians in the Arab world if Saudi Arabia leaves them out of the three-way negotiations with the U.S. and Israel. Now, one of the, the most interesting questions that always comes up on Bible prophecy is, where is the United States mentioned in end times prophecy? Oftentimes we find ourselves going, wow, you would think that a key player in world affairs like the United States would be found in Bible prophecy. Well, three possible answers to that. Uh, one of them is that the United States won't be around for the tribulation period for one of two reasons. Uh, maybe the U.S. gets involved with some kind of limited nuclear war and is taken out as far as being a major power is concerned. Uh, that's a little disconcerting. Uh, the other uh, is that uh, the rapture of the church happens. Well, according to the Barna organization, there's well over 50 million professing evangelical Bible-believing Christians in this country. Say Barna is uh, half right. 25 million people vanish overnight in the United States. Uh, roughly under 3,000 uh, left this world on uh, the World Trade Center uh, disaster. Uh, and it took our economy about three years to overcome that. Right. Just imagine what would happen if uh, the rapture took place. The United States, as much or more than any other nation I can think of, would be the hardest hit. So maybe that's why we're not mentioned. We just become a bit player, if you will. But the other side, and I think we're starting to see signs of this, is that the United States is losing the economic wherewithal and the personal will to continue to be the world's policeman, the 800-pound uh, military and economic gorilla on the block. And we have seen uh, in history certain empires rising and dominating for a time and then falling by the wayside. The British Empire would be a great example of all of this. Uh, the uh, British uh, came to the conclusion that they could not support a welfare state, uh, that uh, the response to uh, writings about the terrible conditions of the poor by Charles Dickens and others inspired them to do, and continue to uh, maintain an empire. So mm -hmm. roughly after World War II, uh, the empire pretty much morphed into what we would call the Commonwealth. Uh, the uh, territories they used to hold will still have cordial relations with Great Britain, but are independent countries. So the United States might go down that same path. And uh, when we start to see how the Saudis are like, well, wait a minute, we don't need to go to you to get the wherewithal to build our nuclear reactor and hence the ability to enrich uranium like their friends, the Iranians up north. Uh, we'll just let China build one for us. Mm. How do you like those apples? We don't like those apples. 
How about France? Well, France, uh, but how about Russia? Could you imagine the feather in Vladimir Putin's cap it would be to be on that kind of cordial relationship with the number one oil exporting nation in the world? Mm -hmm. We do know that Russia will play a key role in the last days, the end times. The Gog Magog invasion of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 is led by an individual who is uh, identified as coming from the tribal groups that essentially have led to uh, what we would call the white Russian people, mm. uh, the individuals that settled Moscow and Tobolsk and other key Russian cities. So uh, very interesting uh, uh, setup, if you will, happening here. The United States in decline, uh, Russia uh, positioning itself to be a major Middle East player. China, interesting stuff, uh, especially when we consider that the Battle of Armageddon is going to uh, take place when the Euphrates River is dried up to make way from the kings for the kings of the East to be involved. And uh, the, the possibility that China uh, would be involved in the Battle of Armageddon is a very good one indeed. Uh, the other interesting detail, we talked a little bit about uh, this uh, yesterday, uh, about uh, Israel uh, saying that they were going to, uh, by next year, uh, have partial protection against missiles, rockets, and other flying weapons because of a laser-based uh, defense system. The thing that is so fascinating uh, about this is, they go, well, you know, they've already got the Iron Dome. You know, why do they need this? You know, they've got David Sling, another uh, missile system that will take out uh, incoming missiles and so on. Why would they need uh, to develop this laser technology? Well, here's one uh, major reason. Uh, the laser system would not only be highly effective, but it would also operate at a negligible cost. Consider this. Every shell that is launched by the Iron Dome costs $50,000. And when you see the, uh, the pictures of uh, the, uh, the uh, incoming, uh, you know, uh, rockets from uh, even uh, Gaza and other areas along that line, uh, being taken out by the Iron Dome. You know the Iron Dome has to launch an awful lot of those missiles. Mm. And every time that happens, cha-ching, uh, a major part of the military-industrial complex uh, pockets the cash because you got to replace the missiles, the anti-missile missiles. And mm. they get them from us. Yeah. Mm. So not only would this laser defense system be radically effective economically, but you hit the nail on the head, uh, no longer a, a need if you will, to defend, depend on the United States for such weaponry. Perhaps another sign that the United States is in decline as being a major world player, wow. which is prophetically significant. Right, yeah. right, yeah. 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 Man, these are interesting times. We live in, yes, for sure. Yeah, Thank that's you. an ancient Chinese curse, by the way. May you live in interesting times. Yeah, well, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> we, we, we're cursed. We're, we're, we're very cursed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, thank but, you. But check out Amir's uh, website. Uh, I think you're going to find it uh, a, a real blessing. Uh, and uh, you can subscribe to uh, his weekly newsletter at Behold Israel at uh, beholdisrael.org. Great. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for that. We've got some great questions coming in. Thank you for that, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the show. We had a question about uh, whether Mormons are Christians. Is the Church of Latter day Saints just another denomination? You can imagine looking from the outside. You know, of course, as you, you walk in Christianity, you start to 
feel it all out, but you have, you know, Baptists, you have Pentecostal, you have uh, Mormons, you have Jehovah's Witnesses. Sometimes from the outside, they all kind of blur together. But and you have case, Mormons who say, we are Christians just like you. Right. And I, they've even co-opted the title Church of Jesus Christ. They'll yeah. They'll leave out Latter-day Saints, so it's getting harder and harder to notice. In yeah. fact, their website is, uh, doesn't uh, it's talk Church anything, of Jesus about, Christ, yeah. uh, anything about being Mormons. In fact, despite the fact they named the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, suddenly they've decided that the term Mormon is uh, derogatory and you shouldn't use that anymore. Despite and it being a reference to one of their most significant fictional historical figures, Moroni, yeah. who was one from one of their non-existent Indian tribes that came over here from Israel, all of which we have zero archaeological evidence to support. That yeah. being said, is the Mormon my brother? Right. to reference James White's book, which, by the way, I recommend as a good resource if you're engaging with Mormons on the regular. Uh, the short answer is no. The long answer? No. 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 Now, I don't just want to say that out of hand, although it was amusing to do so. When it comes to understanding the difference between a denomination and a manipulative cult that twists words by definition, you've literally just identified what Mormonism does. Like denomination, every single word they would use in the spiritual dictionary, if you will, are twisted and altered by their cult to mean the exact opposite of what the doctrine actually is. So when you say God, what do you generally think of? You think of a entity with power, specifically the highest entity with power, a spiritual embodiment by which he is eternally um, self-reliant. He is not dependent on anything else. He is a trinity. He is Father, Son, and Spirit in person, but one in essence as God. We are talking about an entity who created all things, who is the sustainer of all things, not only by his will, but that the second person of this trinity came to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. That would be a, albeit lengthy, orthodox answer. A Mormon, if they're being honest, would say the opposite. They would say that the definition of God is a man or woman who has observed gospel ordinances, and by the way, gospel doesn't mean euangelion in Greek, good news, it means a system or code of laws, determined of course by their cult, and through obedience of these ceremonies and customs, which include a marriage in a Mormon temple, observance of their holy underwear and so forth, don't believe me, look this up, they can become a god and eternally reproduce with essentially what are called intelligences or spirit children, if you will, and then populate their own planets with these newborn souls that will then be crushed down to a different form of matter. They believe that spirit is matter, so they redefine what spirit is, into what we call physical bodies. Now, the reason why I'm going through all this is because it got brought up in the news recently. A woman by the name of Hannah Neilman, uh, she sires from Utah, very uh, Mormon country. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but also literally travel there. It's weird. The, and uh, she was crowned Miss America recently. and Mrs. America. Mrs. America. Yeah. And uh, well, oh, what's Mrs. interesting yeah. about this is that she took the platform and opportunity to say there's nothing more empowering than being a mother, to which the pro-life crowd started to applaud before the appendages and <laughs> Vienna sausages could connect. She said, because it gives us the opportunity to make lots of bodies for spirit children. And we realize okay. the crazies come out. So here's the problem. And 
she's being completely honest as far as what her doctrine teaches. The pre-existence that would exclusively belong to Jesus, according to Micah 5.2, is according to Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and their presidents throughout history, all of us at one point or another, even the Father, who they refer to as Elohim, which is not what that word means, by the way, is ultimately just another man who sired from a planet named Kobol. And, of course... Kolob. Kolob. Kobol Kobol was was Battlestar Galactica. uh, Thank you. The the slight alteration. Which, by the way, Battlestar Galactica, the original one, not the modern one, was written by Mormon missionaries. So cola is a drink. Yes, cold. Or in Midwest, it's all kinds of drinks, but that's another aside. Uh, When we're talking to Mormons, this point (laughs) being made is this. You have to be very careful with what words mean because they don't play by those rules. They can be dishonest. They will be manipulative. And at best, they're not going to know the difference between the words you're using and the words they've been raised up to mean the opposite. So before accusations are made, tests need to be laid out. First of all, when we make a distinction between a Mormon and a Christian, we need to understand what a Christian is. Someone who is yeah, yeah, someone who calls himself a Christian is going to affirm, and this is the bare bones, if a Roman Catholic, if a Baptist, if an Anabaptist, if right. a Lutheran, if a whatever, calls themselves a Christian, they're going to affirm these four non-negotiables. Yeah. That would make them a denomination in the sense that they have an emphasis on secondary doctrines, ceremonies, history, uh, approaches towards scripture, uh, maybe baptism in a certain way, things that we can agree to disagree on, and the foundations of the definition of Christian itself. First, we affirm that there is one and only one God. We are monotheists. Mono meaning one, theos meaning God. Whereas Mormons in the book of Abraham chapter 4, the entirety of the chapter, emphasizes basically, and I I won't use the word I want to, but a total distortion of Genesis chapter 1 in rewriting it from the ground up and saying that the council of the gods, that many gods, and they take careful steps to emphasize the gods gathered together and created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes through all the stages of creation, but emphasizes the gods, plural, did this. And note, it was translated from a piece of papyri that Joseph Smith acquired at great personal cost to his congregation, by the way, in order to translate a language called Reformed Egyptian. Now, I'm no linguist, nor am I the son of a linguist, but is there such a language as Reformed Egyptian? No. And the I was good, called a son of a linguist once. Yeah. But, <laughs> but what's interesting about this is that they made the mistake of publicly releasing the photos of the book of Abraham from which it was all translated. And guess what? It's a piece of a pagan document regarding burial ceremonies from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. That aside. They deny the first Apart from that, it's entirely legit. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's definitely a piece of papyri with Egyptian text on it, but he didn't have accountability because at that time in history, about four people could read Egyptian on the planet. Now we can read Egyptian thanks to the Rosetta Stone, and guess what? He didn't get a word right. He made this all up whole cloth. He provided documentation that proves nothing. And much like his claim about the Lamanites and the Nephites and the Helites and whatever, it's all false and verifiably so. Yet people are tied into this because of ties to their families. So note that monotheism, which Mormonism fundamentally denies with citation to their primary sources. 
The second thing that we believe as Christians is that God is a trinity. We can go into further detail about this, but that God, as he's revealed himself in history, is one in being, that we are monotheists, but we believe that God is unique in this, and that within the one being that is God, there are three persons, three centers of consciousness that identify not only as Father, Son, and Spirit, but are able to act simultaneously and independently from one another while maintaining the exclusive attributes that only belong to God. In the Mormon doctrines, uh, for example, this is Articles of Faith by James Talmadge. He was one of the main sources of Mormon doctrine, and Articles of Faith is still shared by Mormon missionaries to this day, unless they get called out on it where they define the Trinity as the following. The Trinity is three separate gods. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. These three are three separate individuals distinct from each other and demonstrated by the accepted records of divine dealings with man. This is, again, Articles of Faith by James Talmadge, page 35. So not only does the authority of Mormon, or one of the authorities rather, of Mormonism get the definition of the Trinity wrong, but Joseph Smith even doubled down in later accounts where he altered this a bit in claiming that God couldn't be a Trinity because it would be some sort of monster and said that this was a doctrine from the devil. Now what's interesting about that is on top of other things, when he made these claims denying, affirming, and then denying his affirming of the doctrine of the Trinity, we are ultimately left with one fact, strike two of only one strike that would disqualify you as a Christian. If a oneness Pentecostal group came to us and say, we believe that there's one God, but he's only one God. It's the Father. They aren't Christians because they deny fundamentals about Scripture, which we'll get to in a moment. If a, um, what would be another example of a Unitarian in the modern day and age? They call themselves Unitarian. Yeah. Uh, or uh, Muslims. Yeah, well, Muslims don't claim to be Christian, but that, that's another yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Buzzard, uh, he's a very well-known uh, internet source on Unitarianism today, and despite getting obliterated in every public debate he gets himself involved with, he would not be considered a Christian because he fundamentally denies the nature of who God is and how he's revealed himself in history. Mormons do this as well, not only in getting the definition wrong, like Muslims do, but also in misrepresenting and ultimately disregarding it. If you talk to Mormons today, they would affirm a trinity, but they, what they actually mean is a triad, three separate gods. That's not the mm. same thing. The third thing that we can't agree to disagree on as far as what it means to be a Christian is that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works lest anyone should boast. That's a quote from the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. But what's important to note about this is that Mormonism not only resoundly, resoundly, excuse me, denies this, but emphatically, chapter and verse, turns it on its head. In the book of 2 Nephi, chapter 25 and verse 23, Joseph Smith writes in his account, for we know that it is by grace that we have been saved after all we can do. And then goes on to note an extreme detail that salvation or the concept of grace by faith is something that could only have come from Satan. Uh, this is the miracle of forgiveness by Spencer Kimball. One of the most fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and propounded by man is that man is saved alone by the grace of God, that belief in Jesus Christ alone 
is all that is needed for salvation. Joseph Smith also notes in later sources that no one can be saved unless they believe in him. Uh, there's other passages we could note. Journals of Discourse, Volume 3, page 247, Jesus' uh, sacrifice was not able to cleanse us from all of our sins. Murder and repeated adultery are exceptions. Uh, in Articles of Faith by James Talmadge, page 92, we read, Good works are necessary for salvation. Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 1, page 188, There is no salvation without accepting Joseph Smith as a prophet of God. And on it goes. But the point being made is this. Three strikes out of four, and you only need to violate one of these to not be considered a Christian. But let's, I guess, put all nails in the coffin here. The fourth and final thing that we can't disagree on as far as what it means to be a Christian is that not only is God one, there is one God. There are, of all the things in the world that can be identified as God, we would numerically count them as one. Right. God's revealed himself as a trinity, that this is defined and revealed in Scripture, and that salvation is by grace through faith. Where did we get all this information? From the Bible. Which is our only and ultimate authority on sound doctrine. You can have tradition, you can have history, you can have respected commentaries, but anyone or anything that puts themselves above Scripture or on the level of Scripture is not a Christian. They are misrepresenting the Word of God and putting themselves as an authority over or alongside of it. And in the main articles of faith that define the Mormon Church, their sixth article states what? That we believe that the Bible is the inspired, preserved, authoritative, and inerrant Word of God insofar as it's translated properly. And who determines that? Uh, them. <laughs> Fascinating. So, in a denial of monotheism, they are the most polytheistic religion, even outdoing Hindus. They believe in an infinite number of gods and that you can become a god one day, that the only eternal thing is the ordinance of law that we obey to become gods ourselves. They deny Trinitarianism, not only by misrepresenting, but actively denying it from their primary and modern sources as well, confusing it either with a triad or just fundamentally throwing it out of hand, disregarding it as a monstrous doctrine, a satanic doctrine. They deny salvation by grace through faith, despite their attempts to twist James, and we can talk about uh, faith without works is dead if you'd like in a future study, maybe even on this broadcast. They deny that as well. And then finally, the authority of Scripture, their writings, what they call the Mormon Triple, Doctrines and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and the Book of Mormon, are all in authority over the Bible as to whether or not it's translated correctly. They will disregard anything out of hand because not they have evidence, but they have family. And we're going to find out more and more in this day and age that people's allegiances to their communities are going to matter more to them in most cases than truth. Because like... Uh, Speaking of Islam, Nabil Qureshi, when David Wood, his best friend in college, asked him up front, if you were wrong about religion, would you want to know about it? And him, being a rational person, said yes and no. Yes, in that I'd want to know the truth about God if it could be. No, in that it would destroy my family. That was the mm -hmm. biggest obstacle between mm -hmm. him leaving Islam mm -hmm. and accepting Christianity. The same is true for Mormons as well. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look up any good testimony of ex-Mormons, you're going to find one thing and one thing only as the thread that joins them all together back to an actual relationship with the Jesus of history. And it's one word, grace. 
because there is no grace in that authoritarian cult. It is obey the law. It is follow the church's ordinances. It is get yourself in a proper standing within the community in order to justify yourself and others as worthy of godhood someday. When people are exposed to the actual gospel of Jesus Christ, the concept of grace was utterly alien to them and yet so wonderful to them. And Dad, you can note this is not necessarily part of your testimony, but the reason you're in ministry today is because you were literally paid to study down to tooth and nail this concept of grace in a book, were you not? Yeah, uh, it was Chuck Smith's book, uh, Why Grace Changes Everything. Spent six months uh, on uh, the the editing of his notes on the book of Galatians uh, to uh, come up with this uh, final product. Mm. I highly recommend it. And especially like... Yeah, so if you're ministering to Mormons, not just is the Mormon my brother, but also Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith, secretly Scott Richard. But the point being made is just that. (laughs) They don't know grace. They don't know Jesus. They don't even know what the word God means. But if you can, and you have the opportunity, hold their feet to the fire, challenge everything they say down to the syllable, and make them spell out their terms, you're going to run into more than one slip of the tongue where they end up admitting too much, like Mrs. America over here. But the good news is the Holy Spirit is not restrained by our irrationality. If they reject him, that's not on you. But you have the opportunity to be a witness to them, and they need to be. Because no matter how much and how often they twist the Scripture, they twist the English language to conform to their very, very bizarre cult, it's ultimately going to come down to, do you know your Bible, and do you understand the grace of God? Because they don't, and they need to. Huge. Yeah. Yes. Huge. Well done. So in short... No, they're not. No. <laughs> yeah. we, are, we, are, we, we clarified thank you. that. Yes, thank you for laying that out. Question from Hannah here. What is, what is your spirit animal? Is it a sin to waste uh, time? Uh, is it a waste of time for Christians to engage in this? Is it okay just to do it for fun? A uh, women's Bible study that I was in recently was doing this, so I just said eagle was my animal just to go along with it. So spirit animal, is there such a thing as that in the Bible? Well, there were people that worshipped animals, for spiritual reasons, but mm. uh, you will never uh, find it uh, being uh, approved of. And mm. I think it's one of those things where uh, culture uh, tends to trump scripture. You know, people say, yeah. oh yeah, you know, spirit animal, I was in Sedona, and they, they, this lady said, oh yeah, I can tell, you know, you were a, your spirit animal is a majestic eagle. I, you mm. know, it's kind of like reincarnation when people talk about that. It's, uh, it's funny how uh, their previous life was always like a noble warrior, an Indian princess, right. or, you know, none of them were scullery knaves that died when they fell out of the kettle, <laughs> or cockroaches, or things along that line. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, the clear teaching of Scripture is concerned, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 22, we see a description of the uh, spiritual de evolution of man. Uh, how we hold down the truth of God and unrighteousness. And one of the signs of this is uh, pretty fascinating. In verse 22, we read, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So when someone tries to, say, co-opt the worship of birds uh, four-footed animals and creeping things into a Bible study, um, I would 
really recommend you get into another Bible study. Yeah. That's really going far afield, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. They'll say, oh, it's just harmless fun and so on. Um, well, a lot of occult stuff gets billed that way, and people don't uh, end up uh, finding out how dangerous it was till they're knee deep. Right. So, you know, there's no such thing as your spirit, spirit animal. Yeah. Uh, we do see that there are angels in heaven that uh, resemble animals, the book of Ezekiel, the book mm-hmm. of Revelation, uh, but that's only because these animals are a reflection of uh, the attributes of God uh, in his creation. Right. So spirit animals, you having a spirit animal, no. No, no. That's a non-spirit. Thing. Yeah. Yep. Great, thank you. Uh, anything to add, Sean, before we move on? Nope. No. All right. Thank you, Hannah, for that question. I hope that helps you out. Thanks for uh, bringing that to the show today. A question from, uh, from Crystal- Crystallized Coyote, CC. Uh, follow-up from yesterday. Is it bad to call the person by the pronouns he or she chose for him or herself? Um, is it yes. uh, like affirming their decision? It's Not helping. Yes, and this is why. You know, it gets billed as you're affirming their decisions and, right. and you know, how they perceive themselves. But uh, one of the things that has uh, really gone to seed was something that roots go back a long, long way, but it was certainly uh, being popularized and billed uh, for us even when I was in school. It's the idea of relativistic thinking, that mm-hmm. nothing is right or wrong, but thinking makes it so, and that man is the measure of all things. There is absolutely no such thing as absolute truth, um, which is a contradictory statement in and of itself. Uh, when, uh, when, when people will say, well, these are my pronouns and, uh, they run afoul of, uh, the gender that God gave you at conception. Either you've got uh, the double X chromosome, which makes you a woman, or you've got an XY chromosome, which makes you a male or a man. Uh, as soon as you set that aside, you need to understand there's a whole uh, rationale behind all of this and it's already it's gone to seed so far that uh, even uh, Supreme Court nominees can't def- uh, define uh, what a woman is uh, and 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 this is uh, the, the notion behind it uh, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent said to the woman has God indeed said if God hasn't spoken to us well then Katie bar the door you know uh, any perception of reality, your perception of reality, mine, uh, it's all the same, uh, whatever floats your boat. But if God has in fact spoken to us and defined what reality is all about as its creator, as the one who has every right to define what it's all about, when he visited this planet in the person of Jesus Christ, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now notice he talked about the truth. Uh, Biblical truth is truth that can be tested. It's truth that can be evaluated. And as soon as we throw out this idea of uh, biblical truth, uh, then your opinion, my opinion, guy down the street's opinion, Adolf Hitler's opinion, are all equal in in the final analysis. So when someone says, uh, my pronouns are, and uh, they don't don't, uh, correlate, with who they are in reality. When we're doing that, when we're indulging that, we may feel like we're being generous, we may feel like we're being kind or compassionate, but in essence, we are helping sell the idea that there is no such thing 
as absolute truth, yeah. which is a completely anti-God and anti-biblical assertion. Yeah, right. and again, there's gracious ways to go about this. Uh, I have a friend whose name is Brent, and he goes by the name Connie now. Um, he obviously prefers to be called she, but I just emphasize, well, I got to know you when you were still Brent. Could you give me permission to, out of regard for our relationship, rather than where you are now, just to use what's most comfortable to me? And again, the reason why he's wanting to be called a woman is so that he's comfortable. And I'm emphasizing, well, this goes both ways. Can right. I be comfortable right. in this too? Right. And if they throw a fit, which he didn't, then that's going to be fine. And when people say, you're dead naming them, and I said, no, I got his permission. Yeah. Well, now what do they do? Emphasize the relationship, be on good terms, but make sure that you emphasize, I'm not going to play into this delusion, but I'm also going to do so winsomely in right. a way that's not going to either A, upset them, or B, is at least done in a way where they're thinking through their position rather than feeling through their position. Yeah. So you call him Brent. Is that what you're saying still? Yeah. You, you call him Brent. Yeah. yeah. We, we still talk, but yeah. the point is that's where he's at in life. And when people are like, why are you still calling him he? And it's like, he let me. Yeah. And they can't do much Because that, that is, you, so. you know, you can imagine someone in a workplace and someone, you know, transitions and they want to be called by a different name. And, you know, like you say, to, uh, even a female name, you, and you, you don't want to say she if it was a he and you don't want to use their female name if it was a male name. Or don't you can call her fat when she's pregnant or vice versa. Yeah. You know, well, that is a difficult, that's <laughs> a difficult situation because you've got to really make a stand. I like how, how you say to approach them and actually have a hopefully productive conversation like this is, you know, we, are you OK with me calling you something that I'm comfortable with? Yeah, and this is under the assumption you already have a relationship, a relationship with them. It's yeah. just someone from HR is now dressing drag, whatever. But the idea is people in your life do so in a way where you can communicate the heart of Christ, where truth and grace are both emphasized. Yeah, yeah. What a world we live in. Well, uh, Cece, thank you for that, uh, for that question. hope that, that helps you out. Certainly a tricky thing to navigate. So I hope that helps you along. Thank you for your question. A question from Mac D. Uh, does the Bible mention anything about the Holocaust, what happened to the Jews by Hitler, uh, whether, uh, why they were targeted? Is there anything in Scripture about this? A couple places. Um, rather unhelpful people have tried to go to the book of Deuteronomy and saying that this was directly prophesied, which it was in a way, but not personally regarding uh, you know Central Europe seeking their extermination and stuff. There's always been an animus towards the Hebrews and seeking their extermination throughout all of history because God made clear under no uncertain terms, this is the ethnic group I'm going to enter this world through, fulfill my promise to step on the serpent's head, who, according to Scripture, also has authority over this world. If you're not on God's side, then you're essentially following his dictates by nature. By the way, that doesn't mean you're possessed. That just means that you're sharing his heart. That's There is a difference. When it comes to the nature of the Holocaust, we don't have to go to, you know, 1930s Germany. We can go all the way to the first chapter of Exodus in 1450 BC, right. actually a little bit before that, where the Pharaoh of Egypt, who didn't know his history, he didn't know Joseph, it notes, the reason why Egypt had been risen up to the state of a superpower economically as well as militarily. And persecuted the Jews that were living under his stewardship in the land of Goshen, which is that little triangle of fertile land between the Nile River and the, you know, cleft of Sinai in Africa. They had that territory because the Egyptians found farming dirty 
and they were real dainty like that. So they left that to their slaves, and the Hebrews who were living under them were put under this enforced labor, this basically service for no pay. And as they were in this position, the Pharaoh of Egypt just got it into his mind. You know, these people exist. What if we get invaded and they don't take our side? What if, counting two, they rise up against us and we're not able to defend ourselves as effectively? What if they overcome us and turn against us? Not all things happen in reality. I guess he was reading about a spirit animal that day. Now he's in fantasy world and decides to enact an infanticidal policy where they'd be absorbed ethnically into the Egyptian people. They'd kill all the male children because, and uh, the women would marry into Egyptians and they'd consider that their ethnic heritage. So taking all that into consideration, you can ask a lot of questions, but none of this is rational. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere. When it comes to the persecution of the Jewish people, even during the time of the tribulation, why are they being targeted? Well, Revelation chapter 12 hate, uh, tells us the dragon, who's called the devil and Satan, same chapter, just wants to make war against the woman who gave birth to the male child and to her offspring. Now, right. what's the significance of that symbol? Symbol. It's a reference back to, again, the book of Genesis, Joseph. where yeah, Joseph described the nation of Israel, his 11 brothers and his mother and father as the sun, moon, and the 12 stars, all of which this woman was giving birth to. And the woman gave birth to a male child who will rule all nations with a rod of iron, a reference to Psalm 2. Right. We're speaking of the Messiah. So the reason why the enemy hates the Jews, the Hebrew people, is because God used them to bring to fulfillment the promise made in Genesis 3, that his power would be over us, would be taken away forever. What is he doing in the meantime? Well, essentially, he knows he can't take God in a fair fight, so he's going to go after those he loves. And because God still has a purpose for the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, excuse me, we also know the same reason why we're targeted individually as believers in Christ on a social level. Because we stand for the truth, the darkness doesn't like that. It doesn't like the light. It doesn't want its deeds to be exposed, John 1 says. So if that's then the case, why are the Jews being so targeted? It's not because they carry fleas. It's not because they run the economy and are trying to make our lives harder. It's not because, fill in the blank, right? It's because those who don't share the heart of the Lord, including those in the body of Christ, by the way, take that as a firm warning, are sharing the heart of Satan, who hates the Hebrew people and the God who anointed them and set them aside for a unique purpose in history. So let, not anti-Semitism, that's a very broad topic, anti-Hebrewism, anti-Judaism, never be named among the people of God because that's the heart behind it, the heart of Satan. Yeah, right on. Yep. Yeah, great. Well, MacD, thank you. Thank you for that question for being a regular on our show as well. We have a question from... Jody, it's an interesting question. I've heard some preachers say from the pulpit that we will answer to God based on what was inside of us, as in our motives and feelings um, of why we did things. But I read in the Bible that we will be judged based on our deeds done in the body, for instance, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. So will we be judged or rewarded for doing the right things, even if we're not really feeling it inside? Or does God 
just judge the inward parts and the motives. Well, it's not an either or, it's a both and. God's going to judge the intents and motives of the heart because according to Jeremiah 17.10, he's the only one who could know those things. Uh, the book of James notes that he who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it, that to him is sin. So motives matter just as much mm-hmm. as feeling, or just as much as actions. But if you go in even to the passages regarding judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it notes the things done in the body. Well, your emotional core is a part of you. So it's not necessarily exclusive just to actions. If we're worried, though, as you know, taking an honest assessment of ourselves, even when I did the right thing, I don't think I was doing it for the right reasons, you get the point. Anything done apart from the Holy Spirit is not going to stand before the presence of God. So how do we live a Christian life that could possibly be rewarded? I think it's the real crux of the question. Yeah, and uh, the only way that we can do that is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus was asked by uh, some first century truth seekers in John chapter 6 and verse 26, what should we do that we might work the works of God? He said, this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he sent. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to have that connection with Jesus by faith. Jesus, again, in the Gospel of John, said, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He will not enter into judgment, but has passed from death into life. It's about faith. It is about putting our trust in the finished work of Jesus, not in any works that we might try to do. And and so the the, uh, interesting thing, there's a very interesting comment that Paul makes in Romans chapter 2 and verse 16, talking about judgment. He says, in that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So yeah, there is going to be a judgment uh, based upon works. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 speaks of the great white throne judgment, mm. uh, where people were judged according to the things written in the book, according to their works. Uh, God is just uh, amazingly gracious to do this because there's all kinds of people out there who say, well, I'm a pretty good person, I think. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put my uh, faith in my own goodness. Yeah. Well, God will given the opportunity to see just how good or not so good mm-hmm. uh, they were. And it's interesting, even in Revelation chapter 20, we are told that they were judged according to things written in the books, and it says anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. And there's only one way to have your name uh, written in the book of life, and that's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Right. It isn't about our works, our finished works, our, our intended works. It's about uh, do you know him or do you not? Right. And that's what's going to determine our eternity. Yeah, great point. Very good. Let's try and squeeze in this last question here if we can. This is a question from Sean, not our Sean, but another Sean. Uh, Good evening, gentlemen. I got a question. Last uh, church I attended had a QA and a about the subject of pro-life versus pro-choice. The pastor taught that they are pro-grace and explained that we should show love and support uh, to women who get abortions with no mention of telling the woman uh, who had the abortion to repent of their sin or acknowledge that abortion is murder. I was very confused after that church service. Uh, can I get your guys' opinion on this? Thank you. So pro-life, pro-choice, pro-grace, where yeah. should we land? Yeah, what you got right there is a case of the uh, the Anchor Arms advertisement. Ooh, the little peanut worm. He wanted to avoid some controversy and not get into the subjects that make people have to make a choice. Uh, In a nutshell, to be as brief as possible, when we're talking about pro-grace, we don't disagree. There is always restoration available while it's still called today, even from something as horrible as abortion. That being said, we don't discount the fact that sin needs to be called sin in the same way that spades need to be called spade. So if this pastor wants to avoid controversy, there's two reasons for that. Fear or relevancy. If it was just an offhanded remark and he wants to get back on the subject, 
I can forgive him for that. We're just trying to discuss something that's relevant to the topic. But if he's trying to avoid any sort of, you know, I don't want to fit in the pulpit because these people might hear truth and then leave, what else do you exist for? So I don't know. Yeah, um, you know, it sounds more like a sleight of hand, quite frankly. Uh, Just saying, uh, you know, we're above it all. Uh, But, you know, the Bible does talk about the rescue those who are perishing, uh, deliver those who are given over to death. And, uh, you know, if on the day of judgment we find ourselves saying, but we did not know, uh, you know, will not the Lord himself take that into account? Uh, so, you know, again, this idea of uh, saying, well, we just don't even really want to talk about this. Well, how do we talk about it? What does it mean to be truly pro-life? It doesn't mean just saying and standing in the face of our culture and saying uh, from the moment of conception on uh, a, a human being is just that uh, no individual is going to tell you no scientist is going to tell you that a fertilized egg is an inanimate object it's going to say right. it's a living thing mm-hmm. it's a being well what kind of being is it it's a being with 46 chromosomes just like you and me it's a being that is human it's a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, the arguments that we get into about is abortion okay at a particular state of development, uh, to me it's almost like saying, well, uh, is uh, murder okay as long as you're under 16? Right. Uh, you know, what does the chronology have to do with it? Yeah. You know, the biggest question that someone has to ask in that respect is, uh, when did your life begin? It began at conception. Right. And uh, when we take a biblical worldview, on this so when we take a look at this from god's point of view we have to stand for it certainly that's going to offend people certainly some people might say oh i don't like that sort of thing but uh the truth is the truth and if we are at the point where we're compromising even on the evisceration of helpless infants in the womb well i don't call that grace i call that compromise very true very true well sean thank you for that question hope that helps you out we're out of time for today that went super fast we will see you same time and same place tomorrow thank you for being part of reason for hope have a great night god bless you you've been listening to a reason for hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through god's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com you can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com and be sure to join us next time on a reason for hope A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.